Don Jr. has spoken out against the New York Times. We will play you the clips coming up. I also have a clip of Bernie Sanders' campaign manager essentially saying that if Sanders is elected, he will confiscate our guns. An MSNBC commentator has accused President Trump of wanting to exterminate Latinos. No exaggeration. Those were her exact words. Nicole Wallace of MSNBC says, quote, we have a president calling for the extermination of Latinos. She was under enormous pressure to apologize. So she issued an apology on Twitter, pitifully weak apology, quote, I misspoke about Trump calling for an extermination of Latinos. My mistake was unintentional and I'm sorry. And then she goes on. So she misspoke. The president wants to exterminate Hispanic people. Oh, whoops, I misspoke. How do you misspeak like that? The president wants to commit genocide. Oh, whoops, did I say that? Well, that's actually completely false. I I misspoke. And then as she apologized, the same tweet, quote, Trump's constant assault on people of color and use of the word invasion to describe the flow of immigrants is intentional and constant. So in the same breath that she's apologizing, she's attacking and blasting Trump for assaulting Latinos. It just boggles the mind. So she says it was unintentional. What was unintentional, by the way? It was unintentional to say the president wants to exterminate Latinos. It was incredibly intentional. That can't even be unintentional. And oh, by the way, as I'm apologizing, let me continue to blast the president's immigration rhetoric as if she's trying to justify her mistake. Now, another MSNBC analyst, this is almost comical, except that the media is taking this seriously. He says that Trump's having the flags lowered to half staff is a secret tribute to the Nazis and to the white supremacists. So yeah, President Trump, of course, in response to the two mass shootings over the weekend, President Trump had all American flags lowered to half staff. So an MSNBC analyst, Frank Figliuzzi, he says that President Trump, this is actually, actually has secret meaning, secret code to the Nazis because President Trump had the flags lowered until August 8th. August 8th is 8-8 on the calendar. And eight, the eighth letter of the alphabet is H. So apparently to the Nazis, Yimach Shimon, 8-8 is a secret code that means HH, which is Heil Hitler, Yimach Shimon. So President Trump somehow is secretly try, trying to pl- praise Hitler, Yimach Shimon, and to send a secret message to Nazis. And as I said, the Hill and other media outlets are actually reporting this as news. Vigliuzzi also says, by the way, that he was informed of this by little green men who come from the planet Neptune and who live in his closet. You know, and the, you know what's amazing is that a CNN employee last week actually did praise Hitler in a tweet. No, not through code, not through having flags lowered in a tribute. But actually, by praising Hitler, Yamash Shemai, and MSNBC doesn't say a thing, but President Trump actually does this very, very gracious tribute to victims of these shootings, and MSNBC is all over it. And, and they're actually treating this as legitimate news. Meanwhile, speaking of illegitimate news, the New York Times is getting a lot of backlash for caving into Ocasio-Cortez and retracting its factual, accurate headline, about President Trump's call for unity. So here's a clip of former advisor to Bill Clinton, Mark Penn, who was speaking with Tucker Carlson about the New York Times. 
Well, look, you could think that either headline was okay, but the process of the headline that was factually correct and frankly was unifying after these horrifying events yes. would then be complained about by one political faction and changed. That is an astounding development in journalism. I've never seen it. Maybe it's happened before. Why don't they just run the headlines in front? Why don't they run the headlines to, before AOC, before they run them now and not get into the situation? I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that would be the way to go to avoid this kind of trouble. Is that journalism today? I don't think so. Well, so isn't the appropriate response? Well, I know I've been in it for 28 years. I know the appropriate response. It's our paper. We'll write the headlines we want and we're going to tell the truth whether you like it or not. Whatever happened to that attitude? Well, and that was the old New York Times that I knew. I used to complain when I was working with Hillary and Bill about the headlines all the time. I never got one changed. To actually bend after it's printed to a political faction is to cave in a way that I think will, will haunt them for some time to come. So that's Mark Penn, the lifelong Democrat, the Clinton strategist, saying, hey, why not just run the headlines by AOC? The New York Times should just, you know, every time they have a headline, hey, AOC, do you approve of this before we print it? They're going to let her dictate. So now AOC is not only dictating the Democrat Party platform, but she is dictating the New York Times as well. Here's a clip of Don Jr. on Fox and Friends. Right. You can see what happened with the New York Times and the headlines there. Right. They put up actually what happened an objective headline and then they were hit by the mob and the mob went after them and they caved to that pressure because new york times changed their headline. yeah this right. is the new york times i mean they're supposed to be above reproach but they're not they caved to the twitter mob and gave their viewers what they wanted well as opposed to the actual news and that's a scary place to be and that's really the most dangerous part of all this is that the New York Times actually reported the news. Then they realized that their readers and that politicians were going to be furious at her at them. So they say, you know what? We can't report the news anymore. We just have to report the stuff that our readers want us to report because, hey, after all, it's all about selling papers. It's all about selling ads. It's all about making money. The news is not what's going to make us the money at this point. It's the perception. It's it's AOC's version of the news. Here's another clip of Don Jr. The uh, executive editor said to Politico the fact that Beto O'Rourke and Cory Booker didn't like it, didn't influence me. I don't need the entire political field to tell me we wrote a bad headline. It was evident. Uh, it wasn't evident because it was true. But again, the New York Times doesn't function as a news organization anymore. They function as the marketing wing of the Democrat Party. The marketing wing of the Democrat Party. That's exactly right. And yeah, the New York Times executive editor says, yeah, no, the pressure from AOC and all these Democrat candidates, that had no bearing on our decision. He says it was obvious that the headline was problematic. As soon as he read it, it was obvious. And Don Jr. there points out, it's true. The headline is true. It's factual. It's objective. How on earth could you say, well, you know, the New York Times, that's exactly right. Right. You know, as soon as we saw this headline, we're like, wait a second, this headline is not divisive. This headline is just honest and true. It's got to go. This doesn't belong anywhere near the New York Times. You know, and I never heard Ocasio-Cortez, by the way, condemning the New York Times for their constant bias and fake news against Republicans and against President Trump. Peter Strzok is suing the FBI for wrongful termination. You cannot make this stuff up. Peter Strzok is suing. He has filed a lawsuit against the FBI. He wants to be reinstated 
at, at, at his job at the FBI, he wants back to back pay for, for, for all the time lost. Do you remember for all those months, we were just astonished that Peter Strzok still had a job. This is after the, all those text messages were, you know, were exposed, were revealed. This is after we knew about his bias and about how he was the one behind exonerating Hillary. And he was essentially the person who launched the investigation against President Trump. And we were, it blew our minds that he was employed by the FBI for about a year following all those revelations. He says he was wrong to be fired. He also, he says his First Amendment rights were violated when he was fired for text messages that he had every right to send. He has the freedom of speech. So Peter Strzok is suing the president, A.G. Barr, and FBI director Christopher, Christopher Ray. The lawsuit claims, quote, his firing is the result of unrelenting pressure from President Trump and his political allies in Congress and the media. So President Trump pressured Christopher Wray to fire him. Number one, President Trump was allowed as President of the United States has every right to fire him. So Trump pressuring them to fire him is well within Trump's rights. Number two, Strzok was not fired for his tweets. He had the freedom of speech. He's allowed to tweet. I'm sorry, his text messages. He's allowed to text whatever he wants against President Trump. Yes, he has the freedom of speech right to send those texts. Nobody's putting him in jail for sending those texts. He was fired because of two investigations against Trump. First, the Russia collusion investigation, then the Mueller probe, where he was one of the lead investigators. Hoaxes against the president, uh, an, an attempt essentially to overthrow the president. And these text messages are proof of how biased he was. He despised President Trump and he was a huge fan of Hillary. Yet somehow he led both of those investigations. So it's the bias. It's not the, the freedom of speech issue. Number three, you do not have freedom of speech to protect you from being fired. This is a big misconception. I'll give you an example. If I work at a drugstore, if I work at CVS, and I, every customer walks in, I tell the customer, you know what? Walgreens is much cheaper. They have much better products. You really should shop at Walgreens, not at CVS. CVS will fire me. CVS should fire me. I deserve to be fired. That's not, well, I have freedom of speech. I have freedom of speech. That doesn't mean that they're forced to keep me on as an employee if I'm damaging their company. So if you're working for the FBI and you're supposed to be an unbiased investigator, you know, then, uh, you, yeah, you get fired if we d discover that you're actually more biased and full of so much hatred than anybody could have ever Imagine. You know, by the way, this is the fallacy with the NFL players who kneel during the national anthem. Well, their freedom of speech, they have a right to kneel. Well, yeah, but they're working for NFL owners, and as such, they're subject to the rules that their bosses put in place. Okay, a new poll shows that Joe Biden's lead in New Hampshire is shrinking. This is a Suffolk University Boston Globe poll. This New Hampshire, of course, is a very important state because it's the first primary. The only one that precedes New Hampshire is, of course, the Iowa caucus. So in New Hampshire, we have Joe Biden at 21 percent, Bernie Sanders just behind him at 17 percent, Elizabeth Warren, 14 percent, Kamala Harris at 8 percent, Buttigieg at 6 percent, Tulsi Gabbard at 3 percent, Cory Booker at 1 percent and Beta O'Rourke. At 0% now, the same poll in April had Biden at 20% and Sanders and Buttigieg were tied at 12% with Warren at 8%. So uh, Joe Biden has remained steady in this poll in New Hampshire, but uh, Bernie Sanders has shot up, gone from 12% to 17%. Elizabeth Warren has gone from 8% to 14%. Um, and Kamala Harris has gone down from 8 to six. Now, it turns out, uh, getting back to these shootings, that there was 
ample evidence, there was an enormous amount of evidence that the Ohio shooter, who, by the way, is a supporter of Elizabeth Warren, uh, despite the fact that the media is trying to bury that, this shooter was obsessed with mass killings. This was common knowledge to people around him that he was a, a, a potentially very dangerous individual who was obsessed with mass shootings. And by the way, about 10 years ago, it was reported to the police by his neighbors that he potentially was dangerous, that he was obsessed with guns and murder and mass shootings. And this man had a female acquaintance who says that the first time they met, the first time they met, he showed her the body cam video, the video that was taken by body camera of the shooter who committed the Pittsburgh massacre. I mean, so this man was a sick, demented, twisted person, and and it was not a secret. Everybody who knew him knew that he liked mass shootings. And here's why this is so important, because these Democrats who are obsessed with gun control, and with background checks, if they would actually work on improve, improving the law enforcement and improving the FBI's approach, how they deal with this sort of thing, they could discover people like this and prevent them from having guns. See, the information is out there. Not every time. There are some people who, it's just a shock. You know, the Las Vegas shooter, at least according to reports, the Las Vegas shooter, there was really very little in his background. But many of these shooters, look at the Parkland shooter. You know, there were flags there that the FBI was aware of, and yet they didn't act on it fast enough. So the law enforcement and the FBI, most of the time, the information is out there, but the question is getting that information in front of the right authorities, having the authorities follow up. They need a better process for taking the information that is reported to them and connecting the dots and figuring out, well, who is a potential threat, who should be owning a gun, who should not be owning a gun. You know, but why are the Democrats not even discussing that end of it? All they're obsessed with is gun control measures, but they're not discussing profiling and, you know, trying to do a better job. Well, they're working on the red flag laws, but trying to do a better job of figuring out, you know, who potentially is a threat. That doesn't advance the Democrat political agenda. Democrats don't care about preventing mass shootings. They don't care about helping people. Again, do some Democrats care about helping people? Of course. But their number one agenda is taking away guns. Their number one agenda is more government control, less freedom. So if any one of these incidents helps the Democrats advance their agenda of taking guns away, and we'll, we'll prove in a moment, you know, we'll have a, this clip of, of, of the campaign manager of Bernie Sanders saying that they're going to take away guns from people. It's going to be mandatory. It's uh, forcefully against their will. So improving law enforcement and preventing mass shootings, that's just not a Democrat policy. They just don't have the time to deal with that, nor do they care about that. Uh, one other interesting thing is, you know, there were people who knew this Ohio shooter who say even though, yes, he was obsessed with guns, they were still surprised that he committed this shooting. They didn't peg him for that type of person. Why is that? Because he was a nice guy. He seemed like a nice guy. He was mild-mannered. He was respectful. He was courteous. So he didn't seem like the type. He wasn't angry. You know, he he, he wasn't disrespectful. So th- this is interesting because we need to spread awareness that very often sociopaths and psychopaths, they're not what people expect them to be. They can be very charming. They could be friendly. They can be charismatic. Again, there are no rules. It doesn't mean it's always like that. But you'll dismiss it. You'll see somebody who it turns out is a sociopath. You'll say, yeah, you know what? He acts a little strange. He has these weird obsessions. But he's a very nice guy. He's charming. He smiles. He treats me with respect. 
And people mistake. What they don't realize is we get sucked into thinking that if somebody has good manners, that means they're not capable of murder. Now, again, I don't mean to, you know, Baruch Hashem, most people are not capable of committing these heinous acts. So obviously it's very rare. But the point is that this is a sickness. Being a psychopath is a sickness, so it can exhibit itself in many, many, many ways, not what somebody would expect. So just the fact, my point is that just the fact that somebody you know, uh, it, it, it comes across as having good manners and is courteous and respectful doesn't mean you dismiss it and say, well, they're not capable uh, of doing something violent. All right. Democrats, by the way, are now fundraising off of these tragedies. The DNC and multiple Democrat candidates have sent out fundraising emails exploiting these shootings, saying that Democrat voters should donate to help Democrats win re-election and fight for gun control to prevent these types of shootings in the future. To me, that is disgraceful. They should not be earning money and and, and, and gaining donations and fundraising off of these types of incidents. Okay, as I said, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager was interviewed by CBS News. He was discussing a gun buyback program, which is something that Bernie Sanders would like to implement if he becomes president. And he was asked, would the buyback, the government gun buyback, be voluntary or mandatory? And here was his response. We're working through the details of how best to execute it. Obviously, we got to reduce numbers. So we're looking at numbers. What would what would get us down to reducing them? If it would be a federal um, voluntary measure, then sure, we would, uh, if, that, if that works. And I don't know that it would. It might have to be some degree of a mandatory with... Um, uh, with the proper amount and compensations. Okay, so nonchalantly, he says, we're working through the details. You know, we can try the way that does not violate the Constitution, which is a voluntary buyback. But if that doesn't work the way we want it to, then we'll try the unconstitutional, the illegal option. Meanwhile, the interviewer just goes on to other things. It is illegal. It is unconstitutional. It's a violation of their second, of people's Second Amendment rights to say, we are going to force you to give us your gun. Oh, by the way, we'll compensate you. You know, we're going to give them adequate compensation well then then it's okay you know i'm gonna come i'm gonna take all the food out of your refrigerator you're no longer allowed to own food but here i'm gonna give you tons of money to make up no we're not gonna let you eat anymore i mean that that's what he's saying and it's like he's so nonchalant about it and casual well we're working through the details first we'll try it voluntarily you know we're gonna try to take away people's constitutional rights voluntarily and if they don't want to just give up their cars and all their money and their houses then we'll just take it away from them. <laughs> like, I mean, there are millions and millions of guns. I believe there are more guns in the country than people. There's no way a voluntary buyback is going to get millions of guns off the streets. So uh, they're clearly going to have... So it's like, well, we're going to try the way that's legal. And if that doesn't work, we're going to try the way that's illegal. And the media just gives them a total pass. And then they wonder why we're frightened about them taking away our Second Amendment rights. Texas... Congressman, Democrat Congressman Joaquin Castro. This is Julian Castro, the Democrat candidate for president's brother. He posted on social media the names and employers of 44 Trump donors. Now, these are Trump donors in San Antonio. Castro uh, represents the district of San Antonio. And he posted online 44 of Trump's top donors in San Antonio. This is egregious. He's the chairman of his brother's presidential campaign. And here's the tweet, quote, sad to see so many San Antonians as maximum donors to Donald Trump. These contributions are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanics as invaders. So he posted the names and their employers of 44 Trump donors. And what's he doing? He's implying that people should harass these donors. Why would he post their names? Because he's trying to encourage people 
to harass them. Uh, President Trump's communications director, Tim Murtaugh, uh, tweeted in response, quote, at the very least, Castro is inviting harassment of these private citizens. At worst, he's encouraging violence. Will the media be concerned, who's so concerned about rhetoric, care about this? This is a target list. I mean, this is a hit list. Meanwhile, you have violent protesters yesterday storming Mitch McConnell's house. They didn't actually get in, but they were protesting very aggressively, threatening to assassinate Mitch McConnell. Not exaggerating. Rand Paul is having a piece, surgery to have a piece of his lung removed. This is a result of, remember, the violent attack by his neighbor where uh, Rand Paul was brutally beaten by his neighbor. And Rand Paul says it's because of his strong conservatives' beliefs. beliefs. He suffered tremendously. He had several ribs broken, severe lung damage. Rand Paul was in the hospital for weeks and weeks. The media completely ignores this. Last week, Elon Omar put out a tweet making fun of Rand Paul's beating you know so it's like the, the the media has no problem with violence they only have a problem with violence when it helps suit their agenda but violence against republicans they're fine with you know by the way the man who beat Rand paul who broke multiple ribs and caused severe damage he got 30 days in jail and paid a few hundred thousand dollars in damages which is a, a slap on the wrist to me considering all the suffering that Rand paul has endured All right, Tiffany Caban has conceded the primary race for Queens DA to Melinda Katz. We told you about this. Caban was, of course, supported by Ocasio-Cortez. Melinda Katz ends up winning that by 55 votes, that primary. And she is going to go on to win the general election because there is a Republican candidate, but Democrats always win in in that district. Uh, Caban disputed some of these ballots that were invalidated. She claimed they weren't filled out properly and they were they were votes for her. And she argued to a judge that poll workers should be responsible to show voters how they should properly fill out the forms and therefore these votes should count. And the judge said, no, it's the voters responsibility to follow the instructions. Typical liberal mentality, there, socialist mentality. Well, you know, the voters shouldn't be expected to follow the instructions on their own. They need our help. President Trump has officially filed that lawsuit against California over the law requiring candidates to release their last five years of federal tax returns. He did say he was going to file a lawsuit. It's officially been filed. Uh, He says that it's unconstitutional and violates voters' First Amendment rights to keep uh, these candidates like Trump off the ballot for not releasing their tax returns. We'll keep an eye on that lawsuit. A caller says that he disagrees with the argument against tough background checks for gun owners. And I just want to bring this out because it's very important. This caller says, look, I'm very conservative. I believe in the Second Amendment. And yes, background checks, they may actually cause people, there'll be tough background checks. And yes, maybe they'll find things in people's past that are, are really innocuous. You know, they've gone to a therapist, they have depression or whatever. And that's not a reason that they should be prevented from owning guns. Yes, that's true. But tougher background checks will help prevent these types of mass shootings, or at least will help prevent some of these shootings and will save lives. So isn't it worth, isn't it a worthwhile trade-off to save lives, even at the expense of some people, uh, you know, being turned away from owning a gun, who deserve to own a gun? That was the question. It's a fair point. To me, this is not a simple debate. I think I've made that very clear. I hear both sides of this debate. I just want to show you the other side to show you why it's not so simple. Because imagine if somebody is unfairly rejected, somebody in their past had done something innocuous and they get rejected from owning a gun because these background checks are too tough and they really should own a gun. 
Well, you say, all right, yeah, but look how many mass shootings are preventive. And now let's say this person who was turned down and is not allowed to own a gun, let's say their house is burglarized, and let's say they are hurt by the burglar in the process. And had they owned a gun, they would be able to protect themselves, but because they don't own a gun, they have been prevented from the ability to protect themselves from a burglar or some other situation like that where they're in danger and a gun would have helped. See, the reason for the Second Amendment, part of the reason is that people should have the right to defend themselves, to defend their families, to protect their families, to protect their property. So if somebody's turned away, you're really infringing on his right too. So you say, listen, yeah, but uh, if we do tough background checks, then that's going to prevent these mentally, these sick people, mentally ill people from getting guns and carrying out these horrific shootings. Yes, that's true. But tell that to the person who didn't have the gun that he deserves to have to protect himself and got hurt because of it. That's the other side of the argument. It's not a simple matter at all. And as the weeks go by here, next few weeks, I believe there's going to be a lot of debate over these issues. Okay, that's going to do it on this very busy Wednesday, and we will see you next time.